George Washington famously described the Senate as the saucer that cools the tea, a body designed to soothe hot legislation that emerged from the House of Representatives. But as congressional correspondent Kwame Holman reports, some senators have gotten pretty steamed over a proposed change to how their chamber operates. Welcome back to Leftward Expansion. This episode, we will be spending our time talking about the Senate, what it was meant to be in the eyes of the framers, the graveyard of progress that it has become today, and what Democrats can do about it moving forward. Let's get started. The Senate is the upper house of the U.S.'s bicameral legislature. The U.S. Constitution mandates that there shall be a Senate and a House of Representatives in Article 1. Originally, according to Article 1, Section 3 of the Constitution, the state legislatures were originally supposed to fill the Senate seats sent by each state, so the Senate was supposed to be a house occupied by the political elites. This was changed to a statewide popular vote to elect each senator with the passing of the 17th Amendment. Each state sends two senators to D.C. regardless of the state's population. According to historians that have studied the Senate, the purpose of the body is to protect the rights of the smaller states that would not receive as much political power in the House of Representatives due to their fewer congressional seats there. The Senate has the unique power of reviewing and confirming presidential appointments and reviewing and ratifying foreign treaties. To relieve senators of the political pressure that members of the House of Representatives would face, senators would receive six-year terms as opposed to the House's two-year terms. The purpose of this is to make sure senators were not beholden to popular opinion and instead do what they thought was right for the country. Ironically, the Senate was created to protect the rights of minorities by making it a quote-unquote cooling saucer to the House of Representatives' relative quickness. Today, however, the Senate is standing in the way of Democrats implementing protections for vulnerable minorities. We can't blame the framers for the disaster that the Senate has become today. The U.S. Constitution is the oldest in the world for democracy, and the framers simply did not believe that the states would be able to organize themselves into only two political parties due to each state's varying culture and interests. Even George Washington famously preached the dangers of political parties and warned that could lead to parties taking revenge on one another and eventually despotism. President Washington's predictions, of course, were almost completely correct. After President Obama was elected in 2009, Senate Republicans refused to help Obama on anything, even if it was in the best interests of the country and their own constituents. Even the Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009 was nearly filibustered by Republicans. The only three Republican senators who got on board with the Recovery and Reinvestment Act were the two moderates from the state of Maine and Arlen Specter of Pennsylvania, who later switched parties to become a Democrat. Before continuing with this story, I need to explain to you listeners what the filibuster is if you don't already know. The filibuster was only made possible when a rule that ended debate with a simple majority was dropped as redundant by then-Vice President Aaron Burr in 1806. This way, a senator can talk as long as they want to to prevent a vote on a bill. A rule invoking cloiture, or end of the debate with a three-fifths majority of the Senate, was adopted in 1917. Because of this, 
a silent filibuster power was adopted in the Senate, and senators can refuse to vote on a bill until a three-fifths majority or 60 senators is reached to force the bill to a vote on the floor. The senators no longer even have to speak. They could just threaten a filibuster. Not exactly how a government should work, but that's how it is. Since then, the filibuster has been used to block many different pieces of legislation from civil rights in the 1960s to the public option initially offered as part of the original Affordable Care Act bill in 2010. Crazy way to run a government, right? I can hardly imagine the framers would take a look at the state of Senate business and share them on. In 2009, we really needed help from the government and the economy was in shambles. And just like today, Republicans couldn't be trusted to do the right thing. While Democrats still had the majority of the Senate under Majority Leader Harry Reid, Democrats are forced to partially nuke the filibuster for judicial appointments in 2013 because the Republicans under Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's instruction would block every appointment that came to be nominated with the filibuster and use that to stop Senate business completely. As power in D.C. tends to change hands, the Republican Party eventually took back control of the Senate after the elections of 2014, and then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell made things way worse. From 2015 to 2017, when Trump took power, McConnell had not only blocked Democratic legislation from reaching the floor of the Senate, but he also blocked Obama from appointing 105 new federal judges after older federal judges retired and declined to give Merrick Garland a basic hearing for a Supreme Court vacancy after the passing of Justice Antonin Scalia in 2016. Unfortunately, McConnell's gamble worked and Donald Trump was elected president in the 2016 election. McConnell used the lame excuse that Democrats nuked the filibuster so Senate Republicans had the option to approve all of the holdover vacancies from the Obama years with nakedly conservative judges. I don't blame Senate Democrats for nuking the filibuster to get judicial appointments through. Their hand was forced by Mitch McConnell to get anything done at all. Any other argument that Democrats' actions led to the possible confirmations of the conservative judges and the three Trump Supreme Court justices is in bad faith. McConnell expected Democrats to eliminate the filibuster for appointments, and surely if they had not done so, he would have done it himself. I don't see a reality that if the Democrats had not eliminated the judicial appointment filibuster, that McConnell would have left a seat at the Supreme Court and more than 100 federal benches vacant. Now that brings us to today, where the debate rages to eliminate the filibuster completely or not. Stay tuned, we'll return after the break. Now that the Democrats have a majority in a slim 50 to 50 seat split with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie, Dems can control the rules of the chamber. The most major proposed rule change is whether or not to eliminate the filibuster on legislative items. Unsurprisingly, all Republicans are opposed to this idea, and why wouldn't they be? It gives the majority party a 10 extra vote hurdle to overcome in order to achieve anything at all. In this polarized political landscape, a 60% favorable majority on any issue is exceedingly rare. Only two Democratic senators have voiced absolute opposition to eliminating the filibuster, Kristen Sinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin of West Virginia. I think we are all hoping that their position on the filibuster will soften over time, as their reasoning makes absolutely no sense. 
I'll allow Joe Manchin to speak for himself in his own words. When they talk about whether it be packing the courts or ending the filibuster, I will not vote to do that. I will not vote to pack the courts, I think, and I will not vote to end the filibuster. Brett, this system, the Senate was so unique body in the world, it was made to work together in a bipartisan way. And once you start breaking down those barriers, then you lose every, every reason that we are the institution that we are, the most deliberate body. I'm the only Democrat senator that has voted against the filibuster, which is what, the nuclear option that Harry Reid did in 2013. And I voted against the uh, nuclear option when Mitch McConnell did it in 2017 for the Supreme Court. I thought we should be working together. It should take a minimum of 60. And that means you're going to have to have a few Democrats or Republicans, depending on who's in the majority, to work together. That's what we're all about. Why would you break that down? And there's no need to have the Senate. First off, I would like to comment that Senator Manchin was not speaking to me in that clip. He was speaking to Fox News's Brett Baer. And second, I have to disagree with Joe Manchin completely here. The Senate is by no means anymore, at least, a deliberate body. And the filibuster is a 100-year-old rule that was created by accident and abused to the 10th degree to stall progress and certainly does not make the Senate, quote-unquote, what it is. Manchin goes on to describe that moderate Republicans will work with Democrats to get something done. And to truly believe this, he has to be living under a rock for the last 12 years. The quote-unquote moderate wing of the Republican Party could include, and granted, I'm being generous with this list, Susan Collins of Maine, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and Mitt Romney of Utah. Yes, that's a total of three votes, none of which are guaranteed or can even be considered likely votes for any issue. Let's just simulate something here. The Senate needs to get a COVID response bill out the door, and all of the Democrats, plus the three moderate Republicans I just listed, that may or may not go for it, let's just assume that they will. That is 53 votes, not even enough to overcome a filibuster. And any Republicans that do not go for it will effectively kill the bill. How is that a way to govern? Now, the Senate may use a special process called budget reconciliation that will allow the bill to pass with a simple majority, but that means that they won't be able to pass anything else for the remainder of 2021, as budget reconciliation can only be used once per year. Also, budget reconciliation bills cannot increase the deficit outside a 10-year window. So if Democrats want to pass a big spending bill, they will have to include provisions to increase tax revenue to pay down that new deficit within 10 years. This is not an ideal process because not everything can be passed inside a budget reconciliation bill. Laws can't be passed to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Offers of statehood can't be sent to DC and Puerto Rico. The For the People Voting Rights Expansion and Reform Act that would set up automatic registration, expand mail-in voting, immigration reform and congressional gerrymandering reform would also not be able to pass on the budget reconciliation bill. We are leaving so much on the table if we refuse to act. Another downside to using budget reconciliation rather than eliminating the filibuster entirely is that Democrats would be tasked with creating a gigantic monster bill that would contain multiple policy ideas and likely federal funds to an assortment of local projects that have nothing to do with the original bill. These policy proposals could be universal pre-K, $2,000 stimulus checks, student loan forgiveness, and free community college to name a few. 
When all of these ideas are passed together, the media can often be confused by what's in the bill, and that opens Democrats to attack from both the mainstream media that have legitimate questions about what's in the bill, and the malicious right-wing media that will do anything they can to discredit the Dems' work. If the filibuster were to be eliminated, then all of these bills can be debated and passed separately on their own merits, and the Dems will look like they're working hard getting more done instead of people seeing frenzied media coverage of cramming all these different policy ideas on the train that's about to leave the station and then nothing for the rest of the year. It's bad governance and a dumb rule that we've had in place for no reason for a little over 100 years shouldn't be what holds us back from seeing true progress and providing real, life-changing help to people. I'm not going to pretend that I know what else may be in Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema's head when discussing this with the rest of the Democratic caucus, but they are absolutely fooling themselves if they think that the constituents they represent actually care about the filibuster or any procedural rule for that matter. Constituents want results, and that's what Dems need to be prepared to deliver. According to Gallup, Congress's January 2021 approval rating is a whopping horrific 25%. I'd love to know who this 25% of Americans are that think Congress is doing a good job. A December poll by the newspaper The Hill, consisting of about equal percentages of Republicans and Democrats, showed 63% support and 37% oppose for additional COVID relief. 67% of Americans want to see a $15 per hour minimum wage. 68% of Americans support a public option to be available outside of private health insurance companies. Do Senators Manchin and Cinema really think that their constituents care more about preserving an old rule that was used to oppose civil rights legislation over these Democratic legislative priorities? They're wrong and out of touch if they do. I have a simple message for Manchin, Cinema, and every other member of the Democratic caucus that has their doubts about how to proceed from here. Do it and use the power you have to help people. If Dems do a good job now, that's their best chance to not only preserve their majority, but to add on to it after the 2022 elections. Show the American people that they must show up to vote if they want Congress to keep up the good work. If they see Dems as lazy and not working for the American people, they are all but guaranteed to lose the Senate to Republicans for possibly the last time after 2022. I've mentioned this in a previous episode, but I want to remind our listeners that by 2040, about 70% of the American people will live in a total of only 15 states. This means the other 30% of Americans will be living across the other 35 states and will control 70 out of the 100 currently available Senate seats. Time is ticking for Democrats to do everything they can to solve the geography problem, and there's truly a shot that the Senate and therefore legislative power will be lost forever. That's why I'm going crazy that some members of the Democratic caucus in the Senate are hell-bent on hamstringing us now that we're actually here with the majority. Getting the Democratic caucus to 60 seats in this political landscape will be nearly impossible. We need to lower the bar and we certainly have the chance to do that right now. Some on the other side of this argument may say that if we nuke the filibuster now, then Republicans will keep it nuked once they sweep back into power as well. To that, leftward expansion says, let them. The Republicans have always been self-serving and they were going to run rampant once they had political power anyway. 
Does anyone paying attention really think that Mitch McConnell would have allowed the filibuster to stay active had it not benefited the Republican agenda not to? Had Harry Reid not nuked the filibuster in 2013 for judicial appointments, do we think that Mitch McConnell would not have gotten rid of the filibuster in favor of simple majorities when confirming new judges and Supreme Court justices in Trump's presidency? Of course not. He would have, and so should we now that we have the opportunity. For those that think major legislation shouldn't be passed with a simple majority, just remember that Mitch McConnell tried to repeal the Affordable Care Act with a simple majority using the budget reconciliation process and failed due to the late Senator John McCain voting no at the last minute. However, Republicans were ultimately successful in passing tax reform aimed at making their donors' lives easier, also using the budget reconciliation process. That's why taxes have to increase in 2027 if higher economic output doesn't cover the deficit increase by then. Mitch McConnell is no man of honor when it comes to keeping the same standards. The Supreme Court seat that McConnell stole from President Obama was supposedly because he quote-unquote wanted the American people to have a voice in replacing the court seat during an election year. When Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed last year, even closer to the election than Scalia had passed four years ago, McConnell ignored his old standard and replaced her in one of the fastest Supreme Court hearings in modern history and the closest to a presidential election in U.S. history. In terms of the filibuster, it would be one thing if the Republican Party wanted to positively contribute to creating and passing bills working on these issues, but that's certainly not the case. The stance of the Republican Party for the last 12 years while a Democrat is president is to stop and thwart everything that president does in an attempt to make them look ineffective and weak. We can't pretend the Republican Senate caucus is a good faith organization. They are not, and they need to be treated as bad faith actors. While we have the power, we should take away their ability to stop the Democrats doing the real cleanup work of the mess that Republicans have been letting grow and fester for more than a decade. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Brett Hillsberg. Stay tuned for the next episode of Left Order Expansion. Take care, everyone. (music) 